0: Today is a very special day in the Christian faith, as most of you know and understand. Today is Resurrection Sunday, uh, or Easter, and today is a day traditionally that we celebrate not just the fact that Jesus came to the earth. We we honored that in Christmas, we talked about the fact that uh, God came close into humanity and into the world, and we recognized that, we celebrated that. And then Jesus lived his life and his ministry for 33, approximately, faithful years. And in that time, the Bible says that he went around doing good. He went around preaching the fact that this kingdom of God has now begun in the earth. He went around healing those who were sick. He went around casting out demonic oppression and darkness in people's lives. This week is very, very unique because... The way that Jesus ended his life is actually the beginning of our life. The way that Jesus ended his earthly life gave us a course for beginning our eternal life. And Jesus laid down his life in faithful love and obedience to God the Father, taking upon himself the sickness, the sin, the punishment, and the oppression of all of humanity. He took it all upon himself. He was an innocent lamb metaphorically, to be slaughtered. And when he was crucified on a bloody cross by the hands of guilty men, he took upon himself our shame, our guilt, our insecurity, our pain, our suffering, our animosity, our rebellion. He took all of that on himself and he destroyed it. He absolutely swallowed it up into himself and destroyed the power of sin over our lives and the power of darkness over our lives. And then three days later, the day that we celebrate today, he finalized his victory over darkness, over the devil, over sin, and over the grave by through the power of the Holy Spirit resurrecting again from the day. And that's why we're so ecstatic That's why we are so filled with hope and life and joy because we now have a new reality. And I want to talk for just a few more minutes this morning about that. So if you would join me, I'm going to pray and we're just going to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon the preaching uh, and the proclamation of the word of God this morning. Father in heaven, God, we thank you that you are present. We thank you that you are here right now in our midst. And there are many ways that your presence is revealing itself. There are many ways that your presence is taking shape among us. Father, today I pray that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, made available today through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister grace and life and hope and peace and counsel to every single person person that is with us today. Father, we thank you that the kingdom of God, the authority and the reign of God has broken into the earth and into our lives, and you are at work. Holy Spirit, would you have your way today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you are here with us today for the first time, we as a family of believers are in the middle of a series or a a, um, a, a, a series of teachings where we're talking about the faithful presence of God. And I want to just give you a, a, a quick synopsis of what we've been talking about, just so you can be caught up to speed and have a little understanding about how today's message fits into a greater picture of this series. Several weeks ago, we began with an understanding that God is present in the earth, that he has always been present It's actually one of the fundamental characteristics of who he is. He is a God that is present. He is omnipresent, which means that he is at all places at all times because he is spirit. And in this series, we've been learning that even though God is faithfully present, which means that he is faithful to the earth, and he is faithful to the people that he has created in the earth. We, by virtue of our own decision and the volition of our own will, we as human beings, many, many, many years ago, we made a decision that we wanted to separate ourselves from his rule, that we wanted to separate ourselves from his lordship, from his authority, that we didn't want him telling us what to do. We didn't want him ruling and governing our lives. And so the first of humanity made a decision. And that decision was a decision of disobedience. It was a decision of rebellion. And that rebellious decision had a consequence that essentially removed us from the abiding and manifest reality of the presence of God. But God, because he is present and because he is faithful, sent his son Jesus so that the reality of his presence could be experienced, and the reality of his presence could be felt, and the reality of his presence could be near, and we could participate with that presence. Now, as his people, the church, believers in God, the family of believers in Christ, formed together as a family by virtue of the death and the resurrection and the release of God's Spirit into the world, We have the ability to encounter God's presence in a very unique way. Many of you this morning were experiencing God's presence. Many of you, when you get together with your family members, or when you get together in your life groups, or or even on your own, you experience the presence of God in the Holy Spirit in a very, very unique way. And we've been learning over the past several weeks that there are actually a handful of what we call disciplines or practices that actually help us participate with experiencing God's presence. The one we're going to talk about today is the discipline of proclaiming the gospel. The discipline of proclaiming the gospel. And I want to read just very quickly a story that's found in the book that we're walking through. The book is called Faithful Presence. And this chapter is titled, The Discipline of Proclaiming the Gospel. I've read this story now a handful of times, not only to myself and my family, my closest friends, our staff members, but even others that are going through difficult situations in their lives. And you know, as a pastor, I have an opportunity, I have a really incredible opportunity to walk alongside and walk in the midst of people's pain to walk alongside of them in the midst of challenge and and opposition and difficulty in their lives, whether that be great loss or trauma or tragedy or even just bad reports and bad news. And many times I find myself very simply just listening, just being the faithful presence of Jesus in the midst of people's difficult situations in life. You know, following Christ doesn't mean that we are exempt from difficulty. Following Christ doesn't mean that we're now immune from challenges that will come to our lives. It very simply means that God is going to be very close and very near. And as followers and faithful believers in Christ, we can experience the nearness of God and everything that comes with that, the hope and the power and the life of God in the midst of the darkest moments of our lives. This story is a story I've read now multiple times. It has just helped me communicate to people that what you are going through right now is not final, and the challenges of life do not get the final say because of the gospel, This says, one wintry night in Palatine, Illinois, some leaders at Life on the Vine gathered in John's kitchen to address issues going on in the community. After the meeting, while we were still sitting in the kitchen, the subject of our friend David came up in discussion. David had been part of our community for a year or so. A good friend, he had been without a home for himself and his three-year-old grandson, Jay, for over a year. His own son, the father of Jay, had left town with various problems related to addictions. David and Jay were now living in the basement of one of our family's homes. After struggling with health issues and no income for a year or so, things were starting to come together for David. He had gotten a job. His health was improving. Little Jay was flourishing while experiencing life with other children in our church community. And so, as we turned to pray for David, we asked each other some general questions. Was it time to help David get an apartment of his own with Jay? His finances were not good. Can we help make up the difference? Was it time to urge him to offer up Jay for adoption since David's own son seemed to show little signs of overcoming a heroin addiction and reconciling the broken relationships that were causing so many issues for him? The ensuing discussion brought forth a slew of doubts and unsettling questions. We heard questions like What if David is not ready for such a move? Could we be pushing him into disaster for himself and little Jay? We heard sentiments such as David does not even know whether he wants to keep Jay. Therefore, we should not encourage him to make plans that include his grandson. David doesn't want to make a six month commitment to an apartment lease because he wants to move back with family in his farm town where he grew up in Illinois. David's health might be pushed to extremes if he has to move now. Two problems became apparent to all of us. First, we were discussing David without David. We all knew that we were called to discern the future with David, not for David. And second, there was the problem of the missing gospel we were talking about all the things that could go wrong that we should be wary of we were calculating missteps where was the proclamation that jesus was indeed lord over all of these circumstances where was the proclamation that jesus by his spirit was actually at work now working for renewal Why were we not seeing God at work in the very struggles that we were dealing with? We were failing to proclaim the reality that Jesus is Lord and he is at work in these circumstances. The discipline of proclaiming the gospel is one of the practices that we as God's people get to participate with in order to bring forth and manifest the reality of God's presence in a very unique way. Now, I've mentioned many times already here in this story the word gospel, which leads most of us to ask, well, what exactly is the gospel? I wanna look at a couple of verses of scripture, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't, we're gonna put these verses on the screen. We're gonna look at these verses very, very quickly, and then I'm gonna talk with you about a threefold definition of what the gospel is. It's definitely not limited to that, But it has these three components within its definition, and we're going to hone in specifically on one of those components for the rest of our time together. Let's look at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart For the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, let's keep reading. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see a couple of things right here in these verses. We see that the gospel was actually prophesied many, many years ago before the gospel ever came into being. We find that Paul, a servant of God, a son of God was actually commissioned or he was given an assignment to make sure that all of humanity hears this message of the gospel. We see in verse four that the gospel is all about Jesus that the gospel talks about the fact of who Jesus was in his earthly life, that who Jesus was in, relation to, in his relation to God, and who Jesus was in relation to humanity, that he was fully God and fully human, and the gospel speaks about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Look at verse 16 of this same book in the same chapter, Romans chapter one, verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now later we're going to find, let's just keep this up here if we would, later we're going to see that Paul is actually speaking to another church that he had relationship with, a church by the name of Corinth. And at the church of Corinth, here's what Paul says in the very first chapter. He says, listen guys, this gospel, this message, this announcement, this belief, that God, in fact, has come near, that Jesus Christ has been made Lord, that He has destroyed the powers of darkness, and that new life has begun because of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in the book of Corinthians, He says, This is ridiculous. I get it. This is foolishness. You mean to tell me that everything that we're seeing in life, the injustice, the trauma, crisis that humanity goes through, the the depth of evil that we experience and that we have towards one another. He he says, "You, you mean to tell me that this simple message and belief and faith in this man that we call Jesus, the son of God, you mean to tell me that this right here is the solution to all of that? He goes, guys, I get it. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's crazy talk. But he goes on to say, he goes, it's this very message that actually has the power to change our lives from the inside out and to change the cosmos that we live in. Let's look at the rest of this verse. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Somehow inherent within this message Which very simply is just us recounting and retelling the truth of who God is and what He has done in the world. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to point out a couple of those verses that I just made mention to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, to us who have chosen by faith to believe in this message, for those of us who have responded by grace, the grace of God to say, I'm going to put my hope and my trust in the truth of this message. He says for us who are being saved, this gospel is the power of God. Look with me if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15 verse 1. It says now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What is this gospel? What is this message? What is this announcement? What is this good news? Number one, the message of the gospel is the announcement that God has come to the world in Jesus. That's the first part of the gospel. God, who is utterly transcendent and sovereign in spirit, has come to this world in the person of Jesus. Second component of the gospel is that Jesus was not just a good teacher, he wasn't just of the tradition of the prophets of old, he wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a human Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Number one, we see that the gospel is the message that God has come in Christ. Number two, we see that the message of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. And number three, the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is now forming a people and he is making all things new. God has come. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is making all things new. God has come, Jesus is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is making all things new. Let's take a look at these very, very quickly. God has come. Why is this significant? What does this mean? In the book of John chapter one, we can take a look right here in verse 14. John chapter one, verse 14. This is speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. And it says here that the word, became flesh. The eternal, supernatural essence of God himself clothed himself with humanity, put on skin, and became like one of us. He became one of us so that he could identify with us. He became one of us so that he could represent us to God. And he became one of us so that he could represent God to all of humanity see the problem of humanity it's not just in our belief systems the problem of humanity is not just making sure that we are thinking the right way there's a lot of talk out nowadays psychologically that says that humanity is inherently good that really that really at the core of our being we're good And all we have to do is just through nurture and through cultivation and through doing the right things and putting ourselves in the right environments that our goodness will come forth. And through over time and the power of evolution that we ourselves will show forth the goodness that's within us. That's not the doctrine that we find in the scriptures. In the scriptures, we discover that man, although created in the image of God, although our beginning points were good, although we didn't have the virus of sin running through our hearts when we were first created, says that by virtue of our will, our deliberate decision, we rebelled against God. And in so doing, opened the door for the virus of sin to now take union with our spirits, that we became sinful creatures, that we became creatures, the Bible says, that in the core of our being, we're enemies with God. We were enemies with God. That the core of our being, we don't want what God wants for our lives. At the core of our being, we resist and we oppose and, and we resent and we reject any idea of God having any voice in our lives. That is the reality of humanity. And so, Jesus now. He doesn't speak to us from a distance. He comes and he becomes one of us so that this essence of sin he can take upon himself. We call this the doctrine of the incarnation, that God became human. Let's look at another verse that pulls this apart a little bit in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verse six The scriptures say that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, just because he was God, he wasn't wasn't going to then come and make the world bow to his uh, human will. He submitted his human will to God the Father. Verse 7, it says, rather he made himself nothing, He took on the very nature of a servant. This is our Jesus. This is the Jesus we've been singing about all morning long. This is the Jesus we've been celebrating throughout this entire season of of Holy Week and, and all of our lives. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. He is made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, and here's our second point, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So not only did God come to earth in Christ, Jesus, because of his faithfulness to God, Jesus, because of his suffering humility, Jesus, because of his obedience to the Father, was elevated and he was exalted. He destroyed the power of sickness. He destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of death. He destroyed the power of the grave. And he ascended back to be at the right hand of the Father. And in so doing, he was made Lord. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. This is the Apostle Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. It's a real beautiful window into his heart for these people. And he says right here in verse 17, Ephesians 1:17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. is that beautiful? Paul is just praying for the church. These are prayers that we pray for you in the church on a regular basis. We are praying that through the Holy Spirit, that wisdom and revelation would come to your lives so that your understanding of God would grow. And as your understanding of God grows, your heart and your love and your devotion and your faithfulness to God grows as well. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they may be opened. Did you guys know that your heart has eyes? The spirit of your heart can see. The spirit of your heart Has vision. And when we are in Christ, light comes to our spirit to give us vision, clarity, a vision. And when we are not in Christ, darkness covers and clouds our spiritual vision. Paul says this in another location to another group of churches he says that the enemy comes and he literally puts a blindfold over the eyes of your heart to keep you from understanding this message of the gospel which is the power of salvation to those who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. There is a power that is available for us who believe. We sang that this morning when we sang risen, risen, risen. We're talking about the reality of the fact that Jesus is no longer like any other normal human caught and stuck in the grave. He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, broke through and life reemerged, and life resurrected his physical man. And then we sang, we sang this little bridge over and over. We said the same power, the same power, the same power that crushed the enemy— The same power is alive in me. Do you know why that's possible? It's possible because of the lordship of Jesus. The lordship of Jesus that was put into effect by the resurrection. That is the only way that you and I have any glimmer of hope in this natural world and life beyond this world. The only way that you and I have any ounce of forward thinking of desiring because he lives to get up on the next morning when all hell is breaking loose in our lives because the power of God invested in Jesus says that now as his people, as his people, that same power is at work in our lives as well. That same power is at work in your life. When those habits that you feel like you can't shake When those things that have been in your generational line, your family history, your family tree from generation to generation, and at some point you begin to entertain and and, and give thought to the idea, well, maybe I'll just be like my dad, or maybe I'll just be like my grandfather, or maybe I'll just be like my grandmother. This was always in my family. What is the thing that we have to hold on to and to hope that it could be any different for us? the fact that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead through the, through, the, through the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. You know, in November, as we do every four years, and don't worry, I'm not going to get all crazy political on you guys. We already went through that season. But in, every four years in November, we cast our lot We cast our lot for someone who is going to step into a place of executive authority over our entire nation. And if some of us were really, really honest with ourselves, and if we're not careful, some of us will put an undue amount of trust and hope and expectation. But guys, I'm here to tell you today that no government leader, no government ruler, no official Nothing that happens on the local level or the federal level has the ultimate authority to grant unto us power to change our lives. The power to change our lives. The power to transform us. From wicked, vile, selfish, arrogant, proud, lustful, demonically driven people into being people that live in the light and the life and the glory of the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. How is that even possible? I mean, in our Christian faith, we have stories of murderers. Murderers, you guys. Literal murderers. That when they have come and experienced the gospel... And the lordship of the power of Jesus being at work in their lives, becoming some of the most gentle, some of the most kind, some of the most patient people. How is that possible? The power of the gospel. The power of the lordship of Jesus being at work in our lives. So number one, what is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that we don't have just a distant, aloof God. We have a God who has come near to us and clothed himself with humanity. Number two, the gospel is that Jesus, because of his sinless life, because of his purity of perfection, because of his faithfulness to God, because of his death and resurrection, is now Lord. There's a great book that was just released recently by a really well-known scholar called The Day the Revolution Began. I like that. Because we have kind of bought in in this kind of sterilized Christianity and this individualized Christianity we've kind of bought into this idea that if we'll just believe the right things that our life in God is taken care of and if and if we'll just kind of give some verbal or mental assent or consent then we've bought into the idea that really this whole thing, this whole construct called Christianity is really about making sure that every individual is right with God, they've got a ticket to heaven, and you're going to be in, in the sweet by and by throughout all of eternity. And what if the author of this book, what if the author of this book says, what if the gospel, what if the, the foundation of Christianity, what if, what if what God was actually up to was much bigger than just making sure that every one of us had a get out of hell free cart. What what if there was something greater that was in play? And this is, this is the whole premise of this book. The day the revolution began. The day the revolution began. Now there is a there was a phrase in one of these songs, Jonathan, that talked about there was a phrase about war. What did it say? The war, the war has the, the war has begun or The war on death was waged. Oh, man, listen to that, guys. The war on death was waged. Do you know what this whole thing that that we say has formed us as a people? Do you know this whole message of the gospel? The message of the gospel was a revolutionary announcement that Satan no longer has the ultimate authority to be our warlord and our tyrant anymore. There's a revolution that has begun. Do you want a revolution? Whoop, whoop. That's what this gospel is. This gospel is an announcement. And we find a picture of this. We find a picture of this in the Old Testament. And those of you guys who aren't too familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, I'm going to really cut to the chase here. God calls a people to himself, the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons procreate. They're being faithful to the command to procreate and multiply. And then that, those 12 sons have sons and daughters. And they have sons and daughters. And they have sons and daughters. Before you know it, there are millions of people all born of the line of Abraham And then we find in the beginning of the book of Exodus that these people, known as the people of God, the children of Israel, are in bondage, are in oppression, and they are in slavery in a land not their own. The land is called Egypt. And there's a guy there, a guy that thinks pretty highly of himself, a guy who assumes that he is the bright and the morning star that he is Ra, that he is Pharaoh, that he is a God in this land, and he holds these people captive. He holds them in slavery and in bondage. And then we find that God calls a son, Moses. And this is what God says to his son Moses. He says, I have heard the cries of my people. I have heard the groanings. I hear, guys, listen, Whatever it is that you're walking through, and I know that some of you guys are walking through the darkest season of your life, I want you to know, I want to proclaim the gospel to you today, that God hears, that God is not afar from your challenge and your trial. That God does not walk away from your pain. God steps into your pain. God puts your pain on himself. And this is what he says to Moses. He says, I have heard the cries. I am intimately acquainted with the difficulty and the challenge that my people are going through. And I'm gonna do something about it. And Moses is a little freaked out at this point. He's like, okay, what's the plan? He says, the plan is you're going to announce a revolution. The plan is that the war on your oppression has now started. The plan, Moses, is you're going to go walk right into the courts of that oppressive dictator, and you're going to say, You need to let my people go because I am representing somebody greater and somebody more powerful, and he has laid claim to these people, and you no longer have the authority to hold them in bondage and oppression. That was a picture of what Jesus did when he came to this world. That is a picture of what Jesus did when he hung and died a brutal, bloody death and resurrected. He says, It has begun. It has begun. It has begun, and every person now that we have an opportunity to interact with, every person now who is still living under the prison system of the devil and sin, every person that we have an opportunity to proclaim this message of the gospel to, we are opening the door and saying, you no longer have to live. You no longer have to live without choice under the oppressive regime of sin and darkness and the devil. Life has come to wage war. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that we proclaim that God has come. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord which means that he holds the absolute supreme power and authority over every spirit, over every principality, over every institution, over every sin, over even death itself. And what's the third part of the gospel? That because of the Holy Spirit, new life has begun. New life has begun. New life has begun. Has it been finalized? No, Has it been completed? Not yet. Is it done? Not even close. But it has begun. It has begun. Resurrection life is now seeping into the very soil of the cosmos. Resurrection life is at work in you. Resurrection life is at work in you to defeat the patterns of sin and the strongholds of sin and generational curses that have been in your family for centuries. It's at work in you. It's seeping in. It's invisible, it's hidden. Jesus says it like this. You know, the kingdom of God, the fact that now over the earth there is a new king. Now I know it doesn't seem like that, but in fact Jesus established this reality. He says, no, no, there is in fact now a new king over the cosmos. And he says, the kingdom of God, the reality of my authority and work in the earth, it's kind of like a seed that when you put into the ground and you plant that seed and you don't see anything, You plant that seed, and the seasons go by. You plant that seed, and day and night you wake up and you go to sleep, and yet something is subversively, quietly at work in the soil. It's the work Jesus relates it to, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Those of you guys who have little kids, You may recognize and you may notice that there's times and seasons that go by and then all of a sudden you look at them and go, when in the world did you just grow literally a foot? I feel like that's Joshua over here. I feel like for a season there, every week that I saw him, he grew another six inches. Now, if we just sit here and if we study and we watch and we observe Joshua's life every minute of the day, We're not going to see that growth take place. It's happening. It's organic. It's quiet. But he's growing. He's growing. And you are growing. And we are growing. Why? Because new life is at work. The leaven. It's another analogy that Jesus utilizes. Like leaven like that stuff that you put in the bread that makes it rise. When when does the bread actually rise? How does the bread actually rise? It's the power of the leaven. It's just at work. And friends, the message of the gospel is this. God has come near. You have power because Jesus is now Lord over every rule of the enemy and he's at work in your life. Paul says it like this. He says that we know Because of the gospel, because of this proclamation of who Jesus is, because of the proclamation that he has come near and that he has defeated the power of death, and because new life has begun, this is what he says. He says, now we know that all things are working together for the good of those who love him. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means this. It means that because new life has begun, It means because the new created order has been set in place by virtue of the resurrection, this is what it means. It means that God can use anything. It means anything and everything now in the world, even catastrophe, is at his disposal to take broken pieces and pull them back together and make something even more beautiful than what began in the beginning. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that God caused. It doesn't mean that God was the initiator of darkness or damage or damage or death, or destruction in your lives, it means that because new life has begun, that God can work with anything. It means that the Spirit of God is not absent or void from any tragedy in your life. It means that he will take the broken pieces, and he will form them together, and he will cause life to come from them. Today, I want to announce to you the gospel. I want to announce the gospel over your marriage. There's a story here in in this book that I just think is fabulous. It's actually in chapter four on the discipline of reconciliation. But David Fitch tells a story about about a guy that he met in McDonald's. And this guy just, just through the faithful presence of David Fitch being there on a regular basis, of him reaching out, of him establishing friendship and trust and relationship with this guy whose entire life was falling apart. For 10 years, he'd been experiencing the suffering of a divorce and being estranged from his children. And at the right time, in the right manner, David Fitch says, would I be able to proclaim to you the gospel? Would I be able to announce to you that I believe two things that are at work here? Number one, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over your divorce. Jesus is Lord over your estranged children. There is a factor in the equation that you're not accounting for, and that is the lordship of Jesus. He is over this. Would you dare to believe, this is what David Fitch is saying to his friend, over over a two-year process of time, this is what he says, would you dare to believe as I believe, and I want to believe for you, and I want to believe with you, I believe Jesus is Lord, even over the situation of your family right now. And number two, that he's at work. I know it doesn't seem like he's at work, but I want to announce to you, friend, he's at work. And friend, it might be a negative report on your health. It might be that you have, been, you, you have been crying out for a child or for children It might be that there has been an extreme injustice that has happened to you. And friend, I want to announce to you that God is not distant. He has come near. I want to announce to you that Jesus is Lord over every circumstance and situation of your life. And I want to announce to you that the Holy Spirit's at work. He is working. He is moving. I believe this for you. I believe this for you. And I announce this to you. Jonathan, if you would, come on up. We're going to come to the table this morning. What is this table? What are these elements, this bread, this cup of juice? These are symbolic pictures of the very life and the very work of Jesus, the one that we proclaim. They are are a very tangible visual for us to be reminded of the power of the gospel. There's something that we do here on a regular basis. You know, that story that I was telling about Moses, when Moses went into the very courts of Pharaoh and he says, "Let, let God's people go. When he served that revolutionary notice, The end of that story is so powerful. God shows up and miraculously demonstrates his power. And in so doing, he delivers the people of Israel from that season and from that land of oppression and bondage. The night before, millions of people are about to exit, call it the Exodus. The night before, Millions of people and the children of Israel are about to exit from Egypt. This is what God said. He said, I want you guys to have a meal, a commemorative meal. Yesterday at our outreach, I was standing next to Erin for a few moments, and she was talking about in the South, Easter lunches and dinners are a big deal. What are you doing for Easter lunch today? Are you cooking up your Easter ham? Are you, I mean, it is a massive deal. It is a meal of commemoration. It is a meal of memory. It is a meal of memorial. It is a meal that we say this meal is special because of what this meal is speaking to. We do that with Thanksgiving. We do that with Christmas. This meal is a commemorative meal, a powerful meal that reminds us The children of Israel were delivered from the oppression of a wicked ruler. But you know, if you read the rest of the story of Israel, they actually went back into bondage. The meal that Jesus came to institute was a meal that says, By my very life, and by my very death, and by my very resurrection, you don't have to go back into bondage and oppression. I have declared freedom for you for all of eternity. So when we come, this meal actually has three components for us as a family of believers. Number one, it's a memorial. We look backwards and we remember, yes, yes, we sinned. Yes, God came near. Yes, Jesus came in the form of a human Yes, he died for us. Yes, he resurrected. And this meal is a moment for us to pause and remember and allow that to shape us. Number two, it's a moment of encounter. It's a moment of encounter. Imagine seeing a note or a picture of a loved one. And that loved one was not with you tangibly in the moment, but as you read that note or as you looked at that picture, you were encountering them. Your heart was being warmed. Your heart was being moved. You were encountering afresh and anew the life of that person that you loved. That is what's happening today. There is an opportunity for present encounter with the living Christ. But number three, it's a meal of anticipation. It's a meal that says the kingdom has begun. It's not complete yet. We are living in the middle of two bookends We're living right in the middle of the beginning of the kingdom of God and we're living in the middle of the end of the kingdom of God, the consummation of all things. We're living right in the middle of that and as we eat this meal and as we enjoy of this meal together, we are announcing your kingdom will come and you will make everything right. You will set right every wrong thing that has happened in this world. You will make it right. I can't explain it. It is a mystery, but I trust with my faith, with an act of my will, I give you my faith, God, that somehow, by virtue of the gospel, God came near. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is making all things new. You're gonna complete and make right everything, everything that is wrong. Now, we want you to know today that this table is available and it's open to every one of you. And yet, there is no pressure. If you would say today, my heart, my faith is not in that, friend, we want you to feel absolute freedom to just sit quietly and reverently while the rest of this family comes and participates in this holy act. Would you stand with me? Thank you. Our table attendants are coming and getting in place. The Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. Every single one of you is a priest. That by virtue of the gospel and by virtue of salvation, you have entered into this kingdom and you have a privileged and a prized place. You're a priest, which means that you are a mediator of life and grace from Jesus to the world. And as such, we like to invite the kingdom of priests to just stretch forth our hands to these elements and by faith and as a point of contact to pray, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in and among and upon and through these physical, tangible elements to shape us in our remembrance, to encounter us, And also to build faith in us for our future. Jesus, today we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that there's nothing magical, there is nothing mystical in these elements themselves. But God, just like you can take very natural things and in your hands, you can infuse them with spiritual life and power. We are asking today that you would take these natural elements. And with our faith that you would infuse this moment with the very presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, come to the table.